Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 42. Our skill topic for the week is researching. Tom? Yeah. What skill class is researching? Uh, j- uh, j- give me, give me one second. Uh, Tom, Tom, what, what skill class? Sorry, I, I'm just uh, I'm looking up the answer right now. Seven. 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 It's yeah. The internet says seven. I don't think you did very much research on that number. No, I actually opened my calculator. I wasn't even on Google. Oh, well, that makes more sense. Tanda, what kind of research did you do on researching? That's that's kind of meta. Yeah. I, the research I did was looking into kind of the history of R&D departments because that's, that's kind of my day job. And so I thought, well, that'll be interesting to kind of see what, uh, what the history is. And it turns out that uh, it really wasn't like back in the, uh, say, in the 18, mid-1800s, there were people who were like the Lord Kelvins of the world or the, you know, the people who were individuals. Uh, who Who is Lord Kelvin? Lord Kelvin that the Kelvin scale is named after. I can't remember his actual name. Oh, that guy? 273? 272? What's the number? Yeah, we'll just call him minus 273. Yeah. And, and so there were individuals out there that people would hire, that would consult with to kind of like get their intuition or their research. But there wasn't really like a research department until um, one of the first like funded research departments was the actually the Edison Electric Light Company. And I would have thought people had like, you know, a small group of scientists employed before, but apparently it wasn't common. And the Edison Light Company employed 20 people. And uh, this was in 1878. So they were one of the first, and then it just kind of faded away until the beginning of World War I, and people were really trying to develop things rapidly, and by, by the end of the war, Britain had developed the Department of Scientific and Industry Research, and a year later, the U.S. developed the National Research Council, and in those following decades this was in like 1915 1916 and in those decades after world war one in 1919 things just boomed because people were employing science and engineering as like a research department to develop cars and airplanes and all kinds of uh, new things and so r&d kind of had a heyday but then uh, there was kind of this downturn and depression and it just kind of faded until, uh, until, of course, World War II kind of spurred on, you know, creating groups of engineers and scientists and having an R&D department again. And then it's never really gone away after that, especially in the U.S., just because, you know, we obviously weren't as devastated as other countries at the end of World War II and had all of this new, new wartime research that just carried on. And ever since then, every major industry and big company has an R&D department. And so I just thought it was interesting that it wasn't, you know, it's a relatively modern idea to have scientists working for your company, looking forward and developing what's next. For some reason, all of a sudden, I'm struck with the fact that R&D sounds a lot like D&D 
and that there was probably an R&D department for D&D? Yeah, probably so. There were, there were people that were like rolling various lumpy dice that, you know, had weird facets on them and odd numbers of sides that didn't roll well. And, and then there were people who were developing maps with lots of dead ends and nothing to do in them. And, you know, and then and through their R&D efforts, they were able to come up with proper D&D. I wonder if like that was the running joke with the R&D department is that it started out as the R&D was rolling in dice and they're like, nah, nobody's going to go for that. We need to make it sound more creative. Let's go with D&D instead. Probably so. I, I think you, did you find that on Google or did you just uh, come up with that? I, I just came up with it just on the spot. I don't know. That's, um, that's, that's some good research right there. That's a good intuition. It sounds like it. Well, it's not really good research, but you could probably go, you know, see if it's true. And then that would be good research. You know who else does good research? Tom and yeah. and quickly Se- seven. Se- yeah, yeah, we 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 got that, Tom. Oh, okay, good. What what research did you do on researching other than finding out the skill number? I got something. I looked up. I looked up researching pro tips. That's not what I searched, but that's what they are, <clears throat> and they're good. They're things that I now. This is researching pro tips, like going out and looking at various pro tips. And, and finding out which is the best no, one? No, no, this is... <laughs> no, uh, this is more... That would be cool. I'm going to go do that. But while you guys are talking, I need something to do. This is pro tips on how to research. And they're pretty good. These are things I implement even when I'm like watching YouTube and stuff. But it says start broad and then divide, uh, dive into the specifics. I would even say divide... Once you get the broad picture, start to like categorize it and then start picking off categories that you can dive into. Learn how to recognize a quality source. That's important. Uh, And then verify with multiple sources if you can. Be open to surprising answers. Stay organized and take advantage of library resources, which I have never done. The last one. The others I've done. So, So you're saying if I like Google table saw and one pops up, and it has one five-star review that I should probably not get that one. Oh, that's that's tough. You should look up that table saw on 19 different websites and see how many reviews they have on their websites and base it off of that. What if it's for like a, a an old vintage Unisaw and all of the reviews have no stars whatsoever because they didn't have stars back then? They've always had stars, PJ. Stars have been around longer than humans. They're just harder to find, but they're actually they're actually on a catalog, and they're one of those little gold stars like your kindergarten teacher used to stick on your paper. Right. What if what if it actually has like astrological signs instead of stars? Is that also does that does that count? Well, certainly, yeah. Depending on how many stars are in the astrological sign or that constellation, that yeah. Right, like the, the constellations, you know. Constellations could be made up of anywhere from like, you know, 10 to 20 stars. I mean, that's that's got to count for something, doesn't it? Yeah, certainly. I mean, like an Ursa Major is is not near as impressive as, say, a Draco or something. I concur. I know somebody will research that and tell me that there are more stars. In. Cassiopeia is five stars. I've already looked it up. Oh, well, Tom has just confirmed there is a five-star review possible according to the astrological charts. As for me, I totally ignored the stars altogether, and I was doing a bunch of different types of searches for research. I was researching 
for research. That, but anyway, everything it's like refried that, bre- refried beans. They're not really refried. They're just fried, and they're not even fried. That's true. It's a big yeah. It's it's it, a conspiracy it's, theory. It's a it's a gimmick. It's a marketing. You searched. You didn't research. You searched. No, I actually did research because I looked more than once. So it's, I did, was definitely researching. Research is when I look it up on my phone, and then I'm like, oh, let me look it up on my computer. That's research. That only counts if you research the same thing. Of course. I want to see it on a bigger screen, so I have to type in the exact same thing and click on this the third link that I clicked on on my phone. Is it really the same thing if it's on a bigger screen? I don't think so. No. Uh, I think, yes, it is. Well. I looked it up. Tom's wrong. Besides that, uh, I was looking at all kinds of different research and everything started pointing towards the medical field and clinical research. And so I did a deep dive and according to them, the first technical research was listed in the Bible in the book of Daniel around 562 BC, somewhere between 562 and 1537. I don't know. That's kind of a broad, (laughs) they really couldn't nail it down. But apparently, uh, the first the first research uh, medical research was done by uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who was a military leader, and he ruled Babylon, and he ordered his people to eat only meat and drink only wine because he believed that this diet would keep them in good physical condition for battle. But there was a lot of young men that were of royal descent. And they refused to eat anything but vegetables. So they objected. And so the king was like, all right, look, you can have a diet of legumes and water, but only for 10 days. And so when the experiment ended, it turned out that the vegetarians appeared to be better nourished than the meat eaters. So the king permitted them to continue with their diet. So that was the first clinical trial into food, you know, like like diet research about, you know, public health. Uh, Then we fast forward to 1747 to the actual first clinical trial, which was performed by a medical doctor named James Lind, who was a ship surgeon. And he was having a problem with the high mortality rate of scurvy amongst sailors. And he had like this group of them in the one section of the ship. And so he decided to uh, regulate what they were eating in order to see if that made a difference. They all got like uh, mutton broth and gruel with water and sugar and light puddings and boiled biscuits. But then he would vary some of the other things that they would get, like two of them would get uh, a quart of cider every day, and then two would get 25 drops of an elixir named um, vitriol three times a day, and then some of them would get two spoonfuls of vinegar three times a day, and then two of them... Uh, would get seawater. They had to drink seawater. And then another two got oranges and a lemon, two oranges and a lemon every day. And so as, you know, this this kept going, uh, he found that the two that were having the oranges and the lemons would make a full recovery after six days, and then it, they would go back to work. And uh, so that that was like the first, like, treatment for scurvy that was established and although it was very clear that this was a good treatment, oranges and lemons were expensive back then. 
So it took another 50 years before the British Navy um, made lemon juice a compulsory part of a sailor's diet, but then it was soon replaced by lime juice because that was cheaper. So, and there and therefore we get limeys. Limeys. That's exactly where it comes from. Yeah. Yeah. If it hadn't been for economics, they would have been lemonies. So true. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. Tom? Yes, sir. What do you got for dealer's corner this week? I got a couple deals. <clears throat> One deal is I bought uh, a friend up the road from me was selling a bunch of stuff. He's even got like an old Craftsman bandsaw and a DeWalt radial alarm, radial alarm saw. He's just clearing out stuff. And he posted a Powermatic dust extractor. It's a one and a half horsepower. It's dirty and it's got a few broken bits on it, like the little hanger that hangs the bag. But he listed it for $75. And he also had, which I knew about, he had a broken John Deere tractor, uh, model 160. It's a small 38-inch mower deck lawn tractor. Uh, it's from uh, the 80s. It's it's probably 30, 35 years old or so. And it was broken. And I was like, uh, he was he wanted 100 bucks for it at one point, and uh, nobody picked it up. Like People just stopped, just no-showed. So when the Powermatic came on, I messaged them and I said, hey, I'll give you 100 bucks for that and the tractor. And they said, deal, come get them. So two weeks later, I went and finally got them, even though I passed their, their house like 100 times a week. But I finally got it, and I'm selling... I'm going to sell the Powermatic to another friend of mine for $120. That's how good of a friend I am. Actually, I am. That's I could get a lot more for it, couldn't I? What's that worth, Tom? I don't know. I'd probably list it for $250 and take $200. Hmm. Right? Um, but this guy makes my sandwiches in the morning, so I'm going to be nice to him. Anyways. Wait, you have a guy that makes your sandwiches? Yeah, every morning. Breakfast sandwiches. Are you are you selling this to your butler? Who who is getting this, Tom? Oh no, he um he has his own kitchen. Uh, I have to drive there. It's like eight minutes away. It's called a deli. It's a really weird place for your butler to live. I've never seen any other customers there because it's early in the morning, and I I don't know. But anyway, so I'm selling it to him. So I'm like negative twenty bucks on this deal already. And today, like an hour ago, hour and a half ago, pre-show took forever. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was trying to blame PJ for that, and I forgot to. Well, technically, um, you're positive $20 instead of negative. But go on, Tom. What were you saying? Oh, that's true. That's true. Oh, so like an hour and a half ago, I got the tractor running. It runs. I had to buy a $23 ignition switch, like the thing with the key. Um, and I got it. I got it running, and I drove it. And the PTO works. That's the thing that it's an electronic PTO for the... For the mower deck, so it's a little switch, and that thing works great, and uh, it needs more work. I need to do a lot of maintenance. The brakes don't work at all, uh, and that's kind of a problem most of the time. Only when you want to stop, but you know, and and that's kind of it. Well, you know what they say, Tom, can't stop, won't stop. Yes. Whoops. I'm going to stop playing with that now. I have another deal. I don't remember. The mower was the last thing I saw you with. Oh. I have one more deal. So a couple weeks ago, this is like three, four weeks ago, 
my buddy John sent me a message and said, hey, I just got a free lathe and he has more tools that he's giving away for free. And I went, oh, really? So I messaged the guy. And by lathe, I mean like giant, like 10 or 12 inch lathe. I can't remember what it is. Like full cabinet with all the levers and bells and whistles. It was really nice. And he's already got it hooked up and working. So I reached out to him and he had a do-all vertical bandsaw Mm. that is giant like giant like it's really big i remember i i thought it was the size of like jimmy's kalamazoo it's at least five feet like long or wide and and it's on he put it on casters but the thing probably weighs 500 pounds and it's i mean it's so because it's on casters it's like at least three and a half no it's at least four feet tall so this thing is massive, and it's got all the fun little bells and whistles. It's got a little flex shaft wire wheel that cleans the blade as it goes by, and uh, an oiler, which I don't know if it works because I don't have three-phase, and I'm probably just going to try and sell this thing because it's, it's just way too big. Like, it's it's so massive. So I got that, and that was technically free. But he had other stuff there. He had a, a metal, uh, a homemade metal table. And the top plate is five sixteenths thick, and it's probably two by four and a half, maybe around there. And it's like overbuilt; like you could put a car on it. It's so overbuilt, and that's on casters also. And I'm excited about the table because that's really all I got it for. He wanted fifty bucks. It also had a Makita cutoff saw, like the big I don't know, is that a fourteen or sixteen inch cutoff wheel? Uh, circular saw thing you about mm-hmm. like a chop saw abrasive um, saw yeah the abrasive discs uh, with a box of discs uh, I had to make sure to enunciate there <clears throat> also on the table were these really cool cam lock lever thingies that look really expensive like they were like industrial grade ones um, so those are cool did you get the feeling back in your fingers Tom yeah, I pinched my finger. Who knew that when you open the clamp, it would hurt you? Now I know. Uh, what else did I buy? So that was 50 bucks, And then I also bought a grinder, uh, a belt grinder, a really old Porter Cable belt grinder. Call it four feet tall, you know, just a belt. Uh, I think it's four by 54 is the belt. And it's three phase. I don't know how many horsepower. It's enough, enough horsepower. And it's rough shape, but it worked. Like, he turned everything on for me, and it all worked great. And I think um, Chris Zepp's going to buy that from me. And he's trying to sell the bandsaw to a friend of his. So hopefully that goes through. But, I, Chris, I'm not I'm not driving it to you. It's just not going to happen, man. I'm sorry. And that's it. Those are my deals. Oh, I paid. So that was 80 bucks. I gave him a $100 bill because that's what I had. And I was like, don't worry about it because I'm that generous. Such a nice guy. To the guy that was to the guy that was really generous. That's still a really good deal, especially with all the stuff that was essentially free before you started buying stuff. Yeah, right. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Yeah, those do yeah. all the do all verticals. I that, that's one of the things that I would probably, if I found one, oh, no. I would spend too much for horizontal. Oh, horizontal. I'm so sorry. Well, I thought when you said it was four four feet tall, I thought you meant to like the table. 
It's a horizontal. I, I, no. In any case, the horizontal, horizontal. I would uh, I would still spend money on. They're nice saws. <laughs> I was expecting you to flip the script and be like, oh, the oh, no. horizontal ones? Those are garbage. The, yeah, those, those, are, are trash. Those, are, those are horrible. <laughs> I, I, oh, you, sorry, if you I stood you it up, it. if you stood it up, I'd spend money on it. If you stood it up on end. He has an MSC horizontal bandsaw with a welder, uh-huh. and he's asking 500 bucks. and he sent me the model number, and I I can't find anything about this saw other than like two auctions from a hundred years ago. Yeah. I think MSC rebranded other people's stuff stuff. My, my lathe is an MSC branded lathe. Yeah. And, and it's just hard to find because it was like they, they rebranded it. And unless you got the documents with it, people just aren't bragging about them, but they look a lot like, you know, whatever other imported tool. My fear, my fear is that I'm not going to be able to replace anything. Like, how do I look up parts for something that doesn't exist? Uh, what is nice is that he's including a phase converter with it, which he used to plug in all of the tools I bought. Oh, from him. those are those are amazing! Like, I recently had to move my lathe across the room. Yeah. And if you if you have something that converted from a solid to a liquid, then you can just like <laughs> take it in buckets and reconstitute it on the other side of the room. So Very phase handy. converters are yes. are way worth it. Yeah. yeah. I got to agree. Totally. Very yeah. handy. Very handy. Totally. You, you you buy those at Johnson's? Yeah, I think Johnson sells phase converters. You know, I think they're way in the back next to the uh, the weed whackers. Yep. And the rabbit holes? Yeah. I haven't been in there in, in a hot minute. I've uh, been kind of busy, but I, I think that's where they're located. Busy with what? What what kind of deals you got this week? Well, you know, you weren't the only one that got free deals, Tom. You know, there's there's enough free for everybody. And uh, there were these people that bought a house, and is that called a free for all? I, I think so. Okay, isn't it? That's it's free for everyone. Everyone and all means the same thing. Yeah, I think it's a free for all. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. So these people bought a house, and I'm guessing that whoever owned the house before them passed away, and there was no one to take the stuff out, so they bought it full of stuff. And apparently they had a garage sale and they tried to sell some of the stuff, but there was still a whole house full of stuff left over. So they're like, "Mm, everyone come and get all this stuff out of our house. It's free. Wow. So I went and I got 31 things. I'm not going to read all 31 things because they're really not that interesting. Oh, thank God. But I will give you the highlights. Um, The thing that actually got me to go there was a very, very rusty but cool 1950 King Sealy Craftsman 8-inch table saw complete with miter gauge, fence, rolling stand, uh, guard splitter, and a spare drive belt, four extra blades, and a extra long cord. This was all of the things, well, there's more than, more than all the things, that came with it in 1950. So, like, nothing was lost. Tanda, sidebar? Yeah. Tanda? Yeah. Tanda. So he said he's not going to read all 31 things, but he just read one thing, but somehow it felt a lot like 12 things. Did you hear that? Yeah, I think he's going to group them, and he's going to say, and then the second thing is a box of tools, and here they are. And, yeah. and okay. A, a box right. containing a, a, a distance saw, four hacksaw blades, two wheels from a tubing cutter, you know, so, oh, here, here he comes. He's yeah. back. He's yeah. back. Oh, he's coming back. So this guy had an affinity for electrical stuff, 
and uh, he had several AC and DC power supplies, so I grabbed them. Are you guys familiar with, uh, Tanda might know this, Heathkit? Are you familiar with Heathkit, oh, yeah. the company? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I grabbed uh, a 1950s-era Heathkit vacuum tube voltmeter, which I just sold on eBay today. It just shipped out. There was a bunch of nonsense. I did find something by accident that was very cool. If you guys have followed me long enough, you know that I have a love for Markwell staplers, the hand-powered staplers. They're not electric. And uh, they're all like full-size, like arrow staplers. But this guy had the cutest... It's a handy clip stapler. It looks like a little flattened whale. It's about the size of your palm, and it's just for stapling papers. But uh, I saw the shape, and then I saw the name afterwards. I'm like, oh, this is the cutest little thing. So I grabbed that. That was probably like the gem out of everything that was in there. Uh, I found, oh, this was this was kind of nice. There was three yardsticks, and I picked them up. There was a Westcott and a Mays Brothers, which are meh. But then the third one was a metal one, and it was made by Lufkin. You guys know that Lufkin made yardsticks. Oh, yeah. uh, well, they made folding folding rules, so I assume they made yardsticks because they made a very popular folding scale. Mm. Yeah, you just don't you just don't cut them up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, some guy some guy in R and D was like, you know how we could save a bunch of rivets? We just leave this hole. That makes Brilliant. sense. That makes yeah. total sense. So skipping along here, I found a spool of about ten thousand feet of string. That's not an exaggeration. It it was about 14 inches tall and about, mm, I don't know, 8 inches wide. And it looked like an industrial spool of string that was never, like if he used any of it, you couldn't tell. It was, it was massive. And the last thing I'm going to talk about from there was I got a cute little convertible hand cart. Um, it's just like a hand truck that you can, it had the four wheels, so you could put it down on the bottom and then wheel something around that was flat instead of just using two wheels. But it was like half a cart. Like I have a full-size one that's that's like four feet, and then you could put all four. You fit something that's four feet on it. This was like two feet. Hmm. No, Tom, that is not it. Tom just sent me an image of his stapler. That's not the one I'm talking about. I'll have to send you a picture. It's super cute. So that was everything that I got from the free house. That is also not it, Tom. That's a dog stapler. <laughs> Okay. It's a it's a hot dog stapler. It's a hot dog stapler. It is also not not what I got. So <laughs> on the way back from that free house, I hit up some garage sales. I hit two, and I, I I lucked into a bargain here. There was a cigar box full of machinist tools, and I I asked the guy, I'm like, uh, what do you want for all these odds and ends in here? And he's like, ah, ten bucks. <laughs> Nice. And it was it had a brown and sharp uh, number two uh, two inch uh, micrometer. It had a stare at four inch micrometer, uh, three vintage C clamps, um, some stare at uh, inside measurements. I can't remember what those things are called for measuring like inside a tube. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it had a set of parallels, all that for ten bucks. Uh, then he had a Duro heavy duty vintage rotary tool that I got for seven. And a Black and Decker seven to nine inch two speed um, polisher buffer I got for fourteen, which I just sold like a couple days ago for fifty. I had a bidding war going on between that. And then the second garage sale, I got um, something for my mom. If you guys are familiar with those little collapsible box carts, so it's it's kind of like a dolly, but it's got a box at the bottom that folds up 
and the whole thing is makes like a little almost like a suitcase and she goes to like the farmer's market and stuff like that and so i figured this would be good she'd keep it in her car it's nice and small and she could put vegetables and things in there so i got that for a dollar i forgot to mention that on the way to the free house that morning uh, i saw a bunch of stuff put out on the curb in uh, in a town next to mine and ended up being a i had to turn around and go back there was a tradesman 10-inch table saw uh, didn't have a fence or a miter gauge or anything else, but it's one of those plastic-bodied, like, newer versions of a table saw with an aluminum top. Uh, still had the sticker on the top, but it looked like it had been sitting in a garage for years. It was all full of cobwebs and dirt and stuff. But it ran. Uh, you know, I, when I got it home, I plugged it in, it ran. So I took that, too. By the way, the uh, the house was called Free Tool Saturday, and the uh, the garage sale is Garage Sale Madness with Street Trash. You know what I think would be an interesting, uh, an interesting product is a uh, a shopping cart that has uh, wheels under it that fold up like a gurney, mm-hmm. and so yeah. like like places where you take your own bags or whatever at the store, you just go and do your shopping in your own cart, and then you just wheel it up to the back of your car, and it just slides into the back of your car like a gurney, and you close you close it, and you go home, and you wheel it into the kitchen and unload it, throw it back in the car. Absolutely brilliant. We'll have to we should pass that along to Jimmy. He should he should make a shopping cart for his hearse, and he can go to Home Depot and then wheel it through, like a big cof- a awesome. coffin cart. He should make a wire coffin cart, and go wheel it through stores like Walmart. He and Taylor can go to Walmart, fill it up, and then they just roll it out into the hearse and leave. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant! I think that would make a lot of sense, and he should hook up some kind of sensor like mid hearse, so that when he gets like he pushes it all the way in, it sets off the siren and the light starts to spin to <laughs> let him know he's reached far enough. Yeah. So then the last deal that I got, I went to go visit my vice dealer Mike again because he had some stuff. He taunted me with M12 goodness. He had a post up for an M12 hex driver, but it was an older one. It wasn't a brushless, and I'm like. I don't know if I want that, but I'm on the M12 bandwagon. So I'm like, Mike, do you got anything for me? Do you got any vices? Because I check with him every couple of months. And he's like, well, I got one. And he showed me what I thought was a Prentice, but it turned out to be a Peerless. It was so dunked up with paint, you couldn't read it. But uh, I asked him, I'm like, how much you want for that? He goes, 45 bucks. I'm like, all right, I'll come take a look. So I went there. I got the Peerless, which was a four-inch. He had a four-inch uh, 1950s Craftsman swivel bench vise, which I got for, I think, 35 And then uh, he had a 43-and-a-half Colombian swivel bench vise, and I think he wanted, like, 30 for that. But then we went over to the M12 goodies, and he's showing me, like, he had, like, a whole, like, tool drawer, like one of those pull-out drawers full of M12 stuff that was all his stuff. All right, PJ doesn't know I'm talking right now. I'm hiding behind my microphone, and I muted our Zoom. But he is still listing items. I don't think this is technically a sidebar. This is more of an incognito speech. I think he's up to 74 items out of his 31. But I can't. I lost count because I'm just... I, I lost count. I tried, people. I'm very sorry. And I'm like, none of this stuff is brushless, is it? He goes, oh, well, if you want something new, I've got that. And he pointed to a stubby 3-8 inch Milwaukee M12 that had a battery in it. And he goes, that's brand new. And I'm like, all right, I don't really need an impact wrench, but it's new and it's got a battery. How much you want for that? And he goes, I got to get like 100 for that. So like everything together ended up being like 
somewhere around 220. And I'm like, man, do, do the whole thing for 200. I'll take it all. He's like, yeah, right. So I got, I got another, the Milwaukee army is building. So, and those are my deals. That's what I got. Is that the, is that the red army? I've heard of the red army. I've heard it in the news. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank God he's done. All right. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. All right. It's time for personal history. Tom, what's your personal history mm. with researching? Well, much like um, much like the screen printing episode, I've I've never done this skill, so um, that that tracks. <laughs> no personal history. I don't know. It's just something you do in inherently. I, I took I took a few college courses way way back, and I took a class where uh, all I remember is the teacher talking about you know looking at the credibility of the the author and how important that is, uh, which plays a really big role in today's society with with politics, which we're not going to talk about. But when I want to know the truth, I go to the extremes and then I look for stuff in the middle too. So you just, you look at what the crazy guy on the, well, I'm going to say left and right. The crazy guy on the left is saying, the crazy guy on the right is saying, or gal. And then you try to find something in the middle and you try to make your best educated guess on what the truth is. And I do that for everything. I mean, everything. Uh, credibility is so important. You know, YouTube really changed the game in that, you know, and that's really only been around a few years, right? I mean, five years for a lot of people, 10 years for a few people, as far as like a reliable source of information. And for me, I mean, researching how to do things is, is paramount. I just bought that tractor and I fortunately musty one on YouTube, bought the same tractor and did over three hours of YouTube videos on it, which is so helpful. And you know, that's a source that can be trusted and it's, it's not a hundred percent complete as far as like the tractor's concerned, but that's not the point of his videos. So I still have to do other research and find that information, but scouring the internet for that stuff is, is kind of fun. Tom, are you trying to tell me that you got your information from a guy named trusty musty? No, musty one. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Must, number one, M U S T I E numero uno. Oh, I, I, my hearing is terrible. Go, go, please continue. <laughs> I thought I was done. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, you have you have a certain allotment that I'm you have now. to fill. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, Tom's done. Okay, no, it's it's it's, it's, it's there's a certain number Next. of like I'm crackers done. or chips that PJ has to eat while we're doing our. Uh, it's our, nine o'clock. All right, it's time for my so. snack. I'm I'm actually I'm eat, you probably you can't read this, but it's a protein cookie. Protein oh, cookies. Sure. Yeah, oh, man. Now now you're holding food up in front of the monitor. Well, that's right. And I missed I missed ice cream at work. We we had uh, like employee appreciation ice cream that I that I had to walk right by on the way to the truck to make it to the podcast, and now you're holding cookies up on on screen. I mean, I can hold up more things if that would make you feel worse. No, no, that's fine. That's PJ, fine. PJ, PJ, you got those you got those protein cookies at a discount store or something? Yep. All right, so I just googled them and it says that they went out of business ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> These best ten year old cookies I could get. <laughs> Tanda, what is your personal history with research? I, I've been doing research probably as long as I can can remember. For as long as I can have been able to read, at least I suppose I've I've got something of a research addiction. I think 
I will research something that I have no intention of uh, ever using again or have the capability. I just love going down research rabbit holes to the point that when I was young, I would just get out the encyclopedias. Literally, I would just pick one randomly off the shelf, open it up randomly, and I would read a paragraph about something or somebody. Then I would go you know, grab the article about that somebody and read about them. And then if they did anything interesting or invented something or did something in history, I would go read about that. And, and it's to the point that it's kind of, it is actually some, maybe a problem. I mean, I will wake up in the middle of the night, it'll be three in the morning and I'll just have like a random thought or a dream about something. And I'll be like, I have no idea how that works. And I will spend two hours reading about it before going back to sleep because I just like, have to have to go research it and figure out how how something works have no use for it it's irrelevant to whatever i'm working on or doing it just like a fleeting thought crosses my mind and i'll go to the and i'll go start reading about it sidebar tom yeah i i think i think tanda just confessed that she doesn't have night terrors she has research terrors is that what you're hearing yeah and they keep her up all night apparently that is there's no kind of treatment for that i don't think no, I I, uh, I googled it. There's absolutely no information about it on the inter- internet, which means it doesn't exist, but it does. So she's imagining the entire thing. Apparently. Uh, all right. Well, we're just just, just well, act like she didn't say it. Just act. Uh, <clears throat> oh, she's yeah. coming back. Good. She's coming okay. Back. She's coming back. Yeah. So, so Tanda, like on average, um, how much sleep do you get? Um, not near as much as I as I should. Actually, I get decent sleep, but at really <laughs> weird times. Like I will stay up, um, most of the weekend like reading about things and researching oh, things. Wow. But then like I'll sleep a couple hours um, over the weekend um, sometimes. We kind of talked about this once where you kind of have like FOMO for not knowing something. Yes. Like that. Yeah. Like especially a maker thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like fear of not knowing like funk uh, mm. instead of FOMO. Um yeah, I'll think I'll just, you know, like I said, if the thought will just cross my mind and I'll be like, and it's almost like, what if somebody asks me about that and I just can't have a conversation or I just don't know an answer to it? What if I need that to do my work at work? And 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 then I, you know, get almost this, uh, you know, fear of like not knowing something I'm going to need to know the next day at work. And, and I'll have mm-hmm. a, I'll like run through a conversation of somebody saying, how would we do that? And I'm like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say I have no idea or I've never thought of it. And so I'll go research it so that I at least know where to start researching if I have to delve deeper into it. All right. But how many times at work is that the reality where you're like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to go figure it out now. Um, is it every time? Quite often I will have have at least some cursory knowledge of something, at least enough to say, Go look this up to find out more about it. Right. Because that's kind of the highlight of your job. Um, like a young engineer, just yesterday, a young engineer said, um, I'm trying to do this or that. And it was just like, Google, go Google this term. And that was all, you know, I didn't, I didn't need to explain to him what it was or whatever. He just needed the, the words, you know, just the context of something yep. related to what he was doing. So it's just one of those things where, and, and last week someone was saying, could we 
I, I've seen these things where they they transfer ink using this like big rubbery thing. Could we could we apply adhesive that way? You know, and I said, sure, we could look into that. Google pad printing, hmm. just Google pad printing and and applications and adhesives. And so, you know, just having researched something, then it's helpful because I can I can help someone, you know, pick those keywords or whatever to go find out what it is. And I'm, you know, I'm certainly not an expert. I'm just, you know, I've touched on it enough to know where to point someone or myself to go look and find more. I have the opposite of that. I, I don't have a fear of... You have no fe- no fear of not knowing? No fear of, of not knowing anything. Absolutely. That's like mm, funk. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's uh, where there's, where there, you know, I have a, a card where there's a group of us. We're recognized. Oh, like, yeah. in, like in funk anonymous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. We all drive Volkswagens. Yeah. That so. makes, that makes total sense. Because you you wouldn't want to like research anything more modern. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, what's so, your history with research, PJ? So they, of course, when you go to school, they try to teach you how to research. That never really worked for me. Um, as as a full blown attention deficit disorder person, I don't I don't find that helpful. So if you want me to research something, it's got to be something that I'm interested in not really something that I should be looking up or I need for a paper or something. None of that worked. Like I, I'd, I'd never learned any techniques. I would say like my full-blown research started when eBay came into existence. I, when I found out that there were things for sale on eBay, I started researching like my life depended on it. I had to know everything because even back then, this is like, 1997. That's, I think, when eBay started, or at least that's when I opened my account. Maybe they were open before that. But I started like doing a deep dive into anything that they had that I was going to buy. I had to know like everything and like I had to make informed decisions. I couldn't just buy something sight unseen without knowing about it. Or even if it was something that I knew about, I needed to know more. I also wanted to know I needed to research the processes. Like this is in the very early days of eBay. They didn't have um, a fully operational clock with seconds on the site. And it also, if I'm not mistaken, they used to have everything listed in Pacific time Mm -hmm. because that's when eBay was, they were there and they're West coast. So I'm East coast or at, at one time I was central time when I was living in Memphis so like you had to adjust so that you didn't miss the auction. But then on top of that, if you wanted to get a deal, you had to know how to work the system. Like you had to know, I used to time my refresh rate on my computer. I used to have a clock open with seconds and I would time the refresh rate. So I knew like how long it took for me to put in a bid for that to actually go through the computer and the internet to hit eBay so that I could bid within the last 10 seconds right? so that my bid would go in and then no one else could outbid me. This is like before all the sniper websites and all that other stuff that started much later that ruined everything. Oh, yeah. I, I sniped a few things back in the day when you could still do that. Yeah. So that that was really like for as far as like personal history, that was where research um, 
came from for me. Like I, I had like I was invested in getting deals back then. I mean, and now I, I still am, but like the eBay now, I really don't even try. Like sometimes there's an auction, but a lot of times it's just like a buy it now. You know, there's not really anything that's, uh, you know, that I have to pay super a lot of attention to. Yeah, it kind of these days it kind of has to be something that you want, but is not super popular. Otherwise, it's it's become what it was set out to do. It's become a very level, you know, playing field where where not everyone, you know, there's there's not as much arbitrage on eBay as there was in the early days. So I have found something very interesting with my eBay research recently. Everything seems to fall into two different categories. I've seen things on eBay that are way more money than they should be. And then I found things on eBay that are maybe not, uh, this is kind of what you were saying, they're maybe not as popular. And because of that, they're either at a normal price or undervalued. But like if it's something popular, the price is way above what like even like out like Facebook Marketplace or even retail. Like um, I kind of told I'm not going to go into it, but I kind of told you guys that I got um, another M12 Milwaukee deal um, from Home Depot. And the reason I got it from Home Depot was because on eBay, it was an additional like forty five dollars for the exact same thing. Uh-huh. And I'm like, how are they charging $45 more when you can go to Home Depot and get the exact same thing? It doesn't make any sense. And eBay is charging tax now. So you're not like you're not even getting away from the tax like you used to. Right? Yeah, there's there's a most of my research borders on uh, items of interest, not so much um you know, like uh reports or or things like that. Any kind of information that I need to know is literally sitting in my pocket in my cell phone. I could look it up. I don't I don't need to know everything. Plus, I have a terrible memory. So, I might have researched something 20 years ago. I don't remember that now. I can't I can barely remember what I ate last week, you know? So, now you have to re-research it. Yeah. And it's d- double duty. No one wants to do that. Yeah, it's been horrible for my my research addiction because now, you know, if the thought crosses my mind, it's as close as my phone in my pocket to start going down a rabbit hole. Well, you would think that that would stop you from researching. That I would have just keel over by now? or No, I mean, that, like, you don't have to research as much because anytime you think of something, you just look on your phone and then you're done. Well, I look on my phone and find that first article, which leads me to the second and the third and the fifth and, and 14 other branches of things that I had never even heard of before. Yeah. And then your phone battery dies and then you stop. And then my phone battery. That's when I sleep. Oh, when, that when makes my a lot phone of ba- sense. When my phone yeah. battery dies, yep. I know I've been up too long. And that occasionally happens. <laughs> full circle. or full circle. Well, second turn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial interludes and stuff. Hi, y'all. This is Edna down at Johnson's Hardware. Are you tired of losing stuff in your shop, but you know it's in there somewhere and you just need to search for it? Well, we have just the thing for you. Weird Uncle Ralph's re-searchlight. That's right. This is a searchlight with 5,000 watts of finding power. You can use this searchlight to find stuff that you've lost in dark corners, under napkins, behind drapes, and through thin walls. You can find just about anything in your shop with the re-searchlight. Just remember, it's available 
available down at Johnson's. And depending on your mode of losing things, we have the option of buying the two-pack, so you'll always have one handy, or the more modern Bluetooth option, which will allow you to find it with your phone, assuming you haven't lost your phone. I would go for the two-pack. The two-packs are just $179.80, and they're available now at Johnson's. You'll find us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. Johnson's is not responsible for incinerated drapes, napkins, or thin walls. Well, Dagnabbit, I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. Tom, what skill goes well with research? Researching. Re- or searching without the re. Tom, it's on you. Uh, the ability to just not do it and not care. Is that a skill? No, that's just describing what you do every week, Tom. Oh, man. To be fair, I probably do more research than the three of us combined. That doesn't that's, make sense. That, the, math, the maths of that, uh, I don't think, work out. I, How could you do more research than yourself? I'll write it down for you. I research the entire show. It's just I have trouble doing it slightly before the show. You still didn't answer the question, Tom. What skill goes well with researching? Oh, design. I'm not even going to argue. Tanda, what what skill goes well with researching? Oh, I thought I would have a little more time while you argued with Tom about design not going well with uh, with research. I think that uh, I was gonna I was gonna say sleep deprivation, but I've already used that one before, so I'm gonna have to come up with something else. And I told you last time that's not a skill. Well, you can develop it over time. It's yeah. still not a skill. <laughs> um. I think that uh, that reading is probably the best because I think that you can watch a lot of uh, um, like active active reading because you can watch a lot of videos and that's really easy to do these days, but you you just don't get the PJ? level. PJ sidebar. Yeah, Tom. Did <laughs> she saw us laughing because she said reading, and then she tried to reinforce it by saying active reading. <laughs> I've never done inactive reading. <laughs> now that's a skill. I mean, I mean, if there I was like sleep to... reading, I guess sleep reading would be an involuntary skill. I don't that know. Would, that would be, that is my favorite type of reading. I don't know if I do it, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here she goes. She's coming back with her reading. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to say reading, I mean, or active reading or maybe super hyperactive reading would be a good skill if you're, if you're doing research. This reading is definitely a skill. There's such a thing called speed oh, reading. I can't wait until PJ goes. We're going to just crush him. All right. What do you got, PJ? Oh, I got the easiest one of all. Podcasting. Because <laughs> I have not done as much research as I have in the last year as I have since we started the podcast. So, yeah, that's is what goes well with research. podcasting a skill? Podcasting is definitely a skill because I've heard a ton of people do it badly. Well, it's certainly a skill none of us have. I'm not that heavy. Podcast. What is your Damn, weight one of have Tana's to do? Nine level deep. Oh, this is nine level deep. We got to figure it out, man. Mm. We got to figure out the Tanda joke. She's making it's us research really the funny. joke. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> We're going to What's the next the segment. <laughs> I didn't get it. Tanda, what was it, Tanda? I'm not that heavy. Oh no, I'm I'm a I'm a, I'm a just a tiny fraction of a ton of bad podcasting. God. Oh,
Oh, man. That was way too deep for us. All right. And now for some nonsense. All right. Has... This has sort of become almost customary now on some of our Now for Some Nonsense segments. Uh, we've got a debate going on between Tom and Tanda over corded versus cordless tools. And, of course, I'm going to be in the middle moderating here. Tom, why don't you make your argument first? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm, I'm pro, pro cordless is my stance. And I think because it just it, – the freedom you have – with cordless tools, you just, you know, cut the cord, Tanda. You, you're, you just, you can go anywhere. You can do anything. It's just a superior category of toolage. I mean, Tom makes a really strong case here, Tanda. What do you have to say in rebuttal? I, I would have to say that, that he's wrong about the freedom thing. Because the only place you can't go with a corded tool is the UK. Well, and if you have an adapter, you could even go there as well. But, uh... I, I think you can go anywhere with a, with a corded tool. There's no lack of, of freedom there. I mean, have you ever heard the expression, you can walk anywhere if you've got the time? It's the same thing with corded tools. I mean, Tandy, you're making some good points, but I, I got to disagree. You can't take a corded tool in the ocean. It's not going to work there, but you could go cordless. You know what I'm saying? Um, but let's see, let's see what Tom has to say. I, I agree with you. You can take corded tools Anywhere you can take battery tools. You just can't use them. You need a plug. You need to plug them in. You can't use a you can't use a cordless drill under, you know, under the ocean. I mean, maybe you could. You can't for use a, a corded one under the ocean. Yeah, so I, um, I don't Actually, I don't they think do that make happens. waterproof cordless drills. I mean, most Absolutely. of the most of the time like uh, you know, if I'm drilling holes in something, um, I'm I'm doing it while you're looking for your batteries. <laughs> Shots fired, Tom. Shots fired. Because I have outlets. I have, I have these outlets in my walls, and I can, just, I can just plug my corded tools in, and then they just come on. And they just stay on as long as the power's on. She's making some good mm-hmm. points over mm-hmm. here, Tom. I got to say, she's she just is. bulletproof she is. over here. What do you have to you say? Know, you, know what I was, you know what I was doing today? I was about an acre away from an outlet using an angle grinder with a battery to clean up my tractor that doesn't work and you're just not doing that with a corded tool oh no that's no problem an acre is 640 feet on a side that's that's six good extension cords and uh, and you're good to go and and yeah, i don't and while you're doing that and while you're doing that i'll be done no i'm just i'm just kidding you should have a generator on your tractor <laughs> I mean that that's that's a valid point. Uh, I mean, there's no reason. I mean, I when I was when I was a kid in like the '80s, we had a we had a generator on our tractor so you could plug in your corded tools. We had an electric chainsaw that we used off our tractor all the time. That, that that's a good point, Tom. Do you have a generator for your tractor? Just layers, layers and layers of complication. We could just put the motor in the tool. Oh man! Don't all tools have motors? I mean. And and you know how many you know how many times you know how many upgrades and times I've had to I've had to rebuy duplex outlets or different styles of plugs. Hey Ryobi One Plus, it's the same battery for the entire forever. It's it, they work in old tools, they work in new tools. 
It's the same battery. Never changes. And so you're just Never you're just change. stuck with that one brand. No, you can get other brands. The, you can dabble. That 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 use the Ryobi batteries? Because all of my tools no. use the same cord, and they all plug into the same outlet. Oh, she's got you there, Tom. It's all the same plug. It's all the same plug. You're right. You're right. But the plug is tied to a building, and you can't bring the building. Buildings are usually pretty heavy. Usually. No, that's when you bring. That's when you bring your tractor. That's when you bring your tractor. <laughs> Buildings are usually Would pretty need, heavy. I, I got to say, Tom's right there. You need there. gasoline for the tractor. I don't need gasoline for my my Ryobi glue gun oh that's right you know and gasoline can burn your eyes that's definitely bad uh, i don't know tom's got a big point there tanda oh he does he does so uh, how do you how do you charge that glue gun in a building what do you mean <laughs> <laughs> all right and that concludes our argument on corded versus cordless <laughs> i hope you guys are able to draw some conclusions because we have not <laughs> <laughs> that was totally ridiculous. All right, it's time for short and sweet. Tanda, you got anything to wrap up the show? Yeah, I want to. I'll throw something out there. I've been uh, I've been catching up on the uh, uh, Maker Waffles podcast, and they're good, just long, long conversations, and uh, I. Came came to them a little bit late. They're nine or ten episodes in, and uh, I've been in, been enjoying them. And so that's just that's my ride to and from work lately. I, I got to say, I am um, a fan of waffles. I am anti pancake, so it's good that they went with the waffles because otherwise, this is strictly waffles for an hour or more. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Uh, I was not aware that the that that was out there. So yeah. Tom, what about you? Anything to wrap up the show? Yeah, the latest thing that I was researching is how to play chess. And I know how to play chess, but I wanted to really know how to play chess. And it's a very complicated topic and subject. So if anyone listening plays chess, hit me up. Infinite Grassman on Instagram. That's code for Tom wants to beat you at chess. No, knows how to play chess or is good at is good at chess? Huh? Knows how to play chess or is good at chess? There, there are two different, two different things. I'll take any level. I, motivated to learn chess. Okay. Well, I am going to appeal to our audience again. We have not had a new Patreon member in months, and we're also really struggling on the new listeners. So I'm going to implore you to spread the word if you can't contribute financially to the podcast get us some more listeners we need more earballs okay that's what i'm trying to say we need more earballs on the podcast we want more interaction with people that you know would enjoy this kind of content so i am charging all of you listeners out there to go and grab a friend and force them to listen to the podcast <laughs> if you have to hold them down and put little earmuffs on them and blast it into their ear holes that's what you need to do. I'm just saying, be a good friend. That's all I'm trying to say. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. 
You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram, and you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. Hey, I see something shiny. Let's go get it. So, I have been hiding something from Tanda and Tom for... Well, almost two weeks now. They didn't know about it until today. I kind of let it slip in the pre-show. I knew it. He's not wearing pants. And hasn't been for weeks. I, you knew that months ago. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've been wearing pants. It's, it's summertime. I'm wearing shorts for at least the last couple of months. Oh, fair enough. So I, I teased it a while back, but I finally bought my 15 liter ultrasonic cleaner it has been installed in the shop for almost two weeks i want to say right around there and i've been testing it out running it through its paces to see if it does what it say it do and there was a little bit of a mini a mini deal Uh, i've been watching i've been researching them talking about researching i've been researching them for months probably about the last five months six months and there was one company that had one that was a little pricey, but my research showed that the more exp- – like you get what you pay for. If you buy a cheap one, you're going to get cheap results, and they're going to break down. That's that's basically what I was getting. They're either not going to clean very well, or eventually what happens is the ultrasonic transducers will make pinholes in the stainless steel casing if it's made of cheaper materials, and then it'll just leak out all of the cleaning fluid. So that's – something to be you know aware of the one company that i decided to go with sold a dual frequency ultrasonic cleaner and the reason that this is important is because the higher the frequency um the basically like the smaller the waves um, let's just use that terminology so it's going to do a finer cleaning the lower the frequency the more rough the cleaning so if you're trying to dislodge gunk like rust or paint a lower frequency is going to work better than a higher frequency which is meant more for polishing and a lot of cheaper units they only do the uh, 40 kilohertz range mine does 40 kilohertz and 33 kilohertz so that that's an important that for me that was an important uh, factor and i have been running it through its paces Um, the one kind of thing that i'm not too happy about is when I first was introduced to ultrasonic cleaners through um, my mentor, who was also a jeweler, he, f- he would go through these research stages of what was the most cost-effective cleaner. And he found this stuff called drive-up, which was a driveway cleaner. And, you know, this is almost 20 years ago, but he's like, man, this stuff is like super cheap and it's the best cleaning stuff I've found. So I have like a gallon of it that I've had for years. And I'm like, all right. I got the ultrasonic cleaner. Let me go get some. Well, I bought it at like, I don't know, some automotive store, like Advanced Auto or something like that. Well, they don't sell it there anymore. So I look on the internet. Amazon sells it for like $27 a gallon. That's almost twice as much as a Vaporust. Well, that, that, that doesn't do me any good. So then I reached out to Dave over at Parts of Restoration. And I said, man, what are you using in your ultrasonic cleaner? And he's like, 
simple green. I said, well, I got five gallons of simple green here. I'll, I'll dump that in and see, you know, what I can do. So I did that. And at first I was not getting the results that I was looking for, mostly because the literature kind of scared me a little bit as far as they're like, you're going to damage this machine if you run it too long. So like only run it for 30 minutes at a time. And so that's what I was doing. I started like 10 minutes, then 20 minutes, then 30 minutes. And I really wasn't getting any results. And I'm like, Dave, nothing's really happening. And he goes, you got to leave it in there for longer. So then I started running it for an hour at a time. And it, it I have found multiple sources say, if you run them continuously, you will damage the unit. So what I do is I run it for an hour. Then I let it sit for an hour. Then I run it again. And what my research has brought to my attention is that roughly about let's say two to three hours worth of runtime will take uh, paint and light rust off of anything metal. If it's got heavy duty rust, it will take a lot longer. If it's heavy duty rust, probably best to hit it with, uh, with a wire wheel first or just use evaporust because evaporust will deal with heavy rust no problem. But as far as like I've had some stuff, I've put entire small vices in there and I've had it where after an hour, it takes off like 90% of the paint and any kind of grease or grime or anything like that. Mm. And you said it was 15 liters? 15 liters. Um, it, uh, I, I got a little lucky because like I said, I've been watching it. And I had all of a sudden this feeling that prices were about to jump up because a lot of prices on certain items are going up because of COVID. And it just so happened that Right when I decided to buy, for some reason, there was a 5% off coupon on Amazon. So I got a 5% discount, plus I used um, all of my Amazon Visa card points. And then I had like a $3 coupon from Verizon because they give those out like every month. And so I got like a discount of, I don't know, maybe $35. So not a ton, but it still cost me 475 bucks. This was not cheap. This was an expensive unit, um, but well worth it. And um, the only real complaint I have is if you're putting, it's a decent size, but if you're putting stuff in there that's just slightly oversized, it's difficult. You can't really get the lid to seat because it's hitting whatever's there. And I have worked out something with like the lid plus some tin foil to try to keep everything in there because it's heated and it will evaporate the fluid that's in there. But now I have this mentality of I need to make almost like a box lid instead of a flat lid so that I can put things that are bigger in there and still enclose it and have space for uh, stuff to stick out. Right. It sounds like a timer might be a good uh, add-on as well. Something that would run it for an hour, let it set for a couple hours, run it for an hour. It's got a built-in digital timer. It's got a digital timer. It's got a digital thermometer. You set the temperature and it brings it up to temp. Cool. Um, you technically can run it for 99 minutes. It's not recommended, mm -hmm. but that is the cutoff. Uh, and it's, it's, like I said, this was, for my purposes, this was the best unit as far as price and value. Uh, although I did research other companies that had, um, this has uh, six transducers in it. Uh, I found American made ones that were the same exact size 
10 times the price that only had two transducers. So very cool. That's cool. I bought one too. It's coming tomorrow. It's only the three liter. Tom is going to be cleaning a lot of screwdrivers. No carburetors. No, you're not. I brought, I bought the 30 milliliter. I'm going to, I'm going to clean screws with it. That's a very small, that's for like rings and bracelets and stuff. <laughs> I didn't really. But I, I have one that I bought at auction years ago, and I've never used it. Yeah, the size makes a big difference. You, you know, like, you know, like I could fit a three and a half inch vise in there, pretty, you know, pretty tightly. But I can get it, like I could take it apart and put it in there. It works pretty good. Yeah, I have two old ones, but they're both quite a bit smaller. They're more, more jewelry size. The bigger one of the two is probably, probably three liters, probably similar in size to the one Tom got. I did come across a really cool tip. And it's fill the thing with just water and then use like um, like a peanut butter jar with either, you know, whatever solvent you want, like kerosene or uh, simple green, like you said, and put your stuff in the peanut butter jar and then just put the peanut butter jar with the lid into the bath of water. And it will clean within the peanut butter jar and not dirty the ultrasonic cleaner. And then you can swap out fluids easier and quicker that way. Hmm. That's very That's true. Idea. That's a good idea if your stuff fits in a peanut butter jar. Totally. Totally. And the interface between the water and the plastic and the kerosene or simple green doesn't completely nullify the effects of the ultrasonic. It'll translate. That's what one YouTube video told me, so yes. The the ultrasonic waves will translate through plastic, but eventually what could happen is it could actually break the plastic. It could create a pinhole. Possible. That's possible. Oh, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. If you're, if it's that specific of dialing in frequencies, then that may change as it traverses through the different. You're going to lose a little. You're going to lose a little. Um, The the plastic container is going to deflect some. Um, but it will still operate. It'll still function. It's not plastic mm. doesn't prevent sound waves, but um, it, it'll, it'll definitely like lessen it. Um, the other thing is um, because I couldn't find any drive up for a reasonable price, I started doing more research and I found a deal on this stuff called Power Purple. And it is some kind of super cleaner that mm-hmm. they sell at uh, Advanced Auto. And I was on their website looking at it, and they had a five-gallon bucket for like 27 bucks. And all of the reviews that I saw said, this stuff works fantastic. And I'm like, okay. I used it to clean a, a shop like two shops ago that was just the walls were cinder block that had been painted maybe 20 years before, and they were just black. And I used that with like mops and brooms on the walls, and it worked really well. So yeah, so that's 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 the response I've been getting from my research on that. But I was about to click off the website and then all of a sudden Advanced Auto pops up a window and it says, "Don't leave. We'll give you 25% off." <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, "What?" Um, click and I bought it, so I got 7 bucks off and then I went and picked it up at a local store. You know what's a really good way to get a discount? Put stuff in your cart and then close the website. And wait for an email. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That that I've get I've gotten those emails as well. Yeah, so that's a good thing to do. That's if you have an account with them. I I was just buying some stuff from McMaster today, and I didn't. I I buy stuff from various different places, and I had forgotten that McMaster 
like I have like an instant buy thing so that like when I go to like look at my cart and say, yeah, you know, if I just say, yes, I want to buy it, there is no other like send it to this address, what card do you want to use, whatever. And I was just, I hit, yes, I want to buy it because I wanted to see what the total price of the cart was with shipping. And I bought it. <laughs> Accidentally. <laughs> I mean, I, I ended, I, it, was, it was exactly what I wanted and I was going to buy it anyway, but I was like, oh man, I am so glad that I didn't put like something in there that was really expensive and I just wanted to see how much it would cost to ship it. Um, because I had totally forgotten that as soon as I hit like, you know, buy it now or buy it. it it doesn't have like a buy it now or something it's not different it's just like you know go go to the buy it screen and i was you know ready to type in my my card or whatever if i decided it was the right price but i didn't have that choice it just bought it you might want to change that option there tanda yeah, or remember that yeah otherwise i might have uh, you know something really i might have a new bandsaw coming or something it'll be here next wednesday so tom I understand that you also yep. got something new in the in the shop. Yeah, uh, a friend of mine is a GE appliance repair guy, and he does more than that, but that's generally what he does. And he dropped off a range hood. Is that what they're called? Is that the general term? Sure. Yeah. Okay, a range hood uh, that vents and puts light and fun stuff, but it also it's the size you know it's the size of a microwave. Like over your stove. So it's that size. Imagine that. But on the front, instead of a microwave, which would be super helpful, it's a 27-inch Android touchscreen tablet called a GE Kitchen Hub. And they were they came out a few years ago, and I haven't seen a single review on YouTube about them. I think it was just like an overpriced item that nobody really bought. But it is a 27-inch touchscreen tablet. And it vents. So my plan is to use it for like my electronics desk, which I don't truly have. I need to make one. But put it over that. I have all the entertainment I want up above. I have lights. I have ventilation for fumes. Uh, They have carbon filters in them. And also there's a camera that points down so I could even record things. Uh, from you know, from bird's eye view. That's a handy feature for definitely for videos. Is what's the what's the original idea for that? That you can see your stovetop on the screen from across the room. It's it's like for your recipes and video chatting when you're screwing up mommy's meatloaf and she can see your stove and it's kind of stupid. It's not stupid. It's just not. Like, they're shoving technology in places it doesn't really belong yet. Well, a lot of the refrigerators now have, the modern refrigerators have a have a screen on them. And to me, an over-the-oven microwave makes more sense to have a screen because it's just in a more appropriate place, typically, to look at. Except it's not a microwave, which I know you know, but right. it's it's this giant microwave size. Like, what what's a stove? 28, 30 inches wide, right? Right. It, and it's it's massive. So we have a microwave over our range, which we need. And I can't replace the one upstairs unless we got a second microwave or a, an, a, another microwave to sit on the counter. And we don't have that much counter space. So it's going in the shop. I've justified it. Leave me alone. Well, you would. I mean, if it's not a microwave, you don't you can't use it that way anyway. But uh, but you 
but you could go glue a monitor onto the front of your microwave. It, exactly. That's what I told my wife. I don't understand. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. I really wish I could rip like the touchscreen. A 27-inch touchscreen is massive. When I saw it, I went, holy like I just didn't visualize that. But it's big. It's really I, I, big. I just caught one at work that is, I think it's that big or bigger. And I had a coworker buy it. We needed a touchscreen for a work cell. And, and I was just like, oh, we just need a touchscreen just, you know, for the work self because we don't want to have a keyboard and a mouse there. And, and he went off and I was picturing like, you know, nine inch, maybe, maybe yeah. 12 or 14 inch. And we got this like <laughs> huge, heavy monitor That's that awesome. like dwarfs the thing it's attached to. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really cool. I, um, I'm going to take a picture of myself like using the Android tablet microwave on the couch or something. But uh, what's cool is it actually is a full-on Android tablet. It's not nerfed. Like, they didn't just let you use GE. Like, you can go to the Play Store and download anything that you would on a normal Android tablet. It does have, like, you know, the app bar in the bottom. It's a little bit different, but, you know, it has, like, its Flavory is the name of their app, I think, which has recipes and stuff. And it's all voice activated with, with Google and stuff like that, too. So it's cool. For your use, it'd be great. I mean, you could put schematics and drawings and stuff on it. If it's going to be the exactly. hood over your electronics and, like, soldering area, it'd be, a, you know, then they're up out of the way and they're not, like, on your workbench. Right. You can just, like, sit back and look at it and then dive back in. So, like, if you're watching, like, iFixit videos and following along, it's just, it's always there. I don't have to pull out my phone and prop my phone up and then knock my phone over and things like that. I, I would recommend, cool. Tom, that you put that on some sort of movable aperture so you can raise and lower it because I, I imagine that it's finding the right height to view that is going to be a little tricky when you're sitting down. You're going to be craning your head a lot. You might want to make it adjustable. But it but it's a vent hood underneath, right? Yeah, it's a vent hood underneath. How, how is it heavy? Uh, Yeah, it's a microwave. It's it's as heavy as a microwave. It's very heavy. So, But that's what I'm saying. You're going to use it for fume extraction. So you, like lowering it would be helpful also if you're doing a lot of stinky work, you know? Yeah, but I, I think, I, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but I think it's going to be okay because it's meant to be a certain distance above a, you know, fire, um, a stove. And it'll just catch, because it's so wide and deep, like it'll catch all of that. I don't think I'm going to have to worry you, about You could it. watch what you're doing through the camera. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, so you could just have it right there. You could be looking at the screen and doing, you know, veterinary work on cats or something. <laughs> but it had to, it like, had to be like the doctors. pretty low for that, though. So, like orthoscopic surgery? Yeah, you could be doing, like, tele telemedi telemedicine right there in your shop. Hey, I see you looking at my stuff. Go get your own shiny. <laughs> <laughs>